Praise God. I want to talk to you tonight about not being deceived. Just say, don't be deceived. Look at the person next to you and say, don't be deceived. There's more than meets the eye. If you got a Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. There's all kinds of moments in Scripture where God warns his people not to be deceived, whether it comes down to believing things that aren't true about God or believing things that aren't true about people or believing things that aren't true about ourselves. How many of y'all know we can have self-deception just as bad as we can be deceived by another person? Half of y'all in the room believe that you're capable of deceiving yourself. All right, you're already deceived. We got an altar call. No, I'm kidding. You're not. You're, you're walking in freedom. You know the truth. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of, this, of, of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We are at war um, and we've been at war since the beginning of time against the spirit of deception. Since Genesis chapter two, when the serpent came into the garden of Eden, tempting Eve, Genesis chapter three, and using that temptation of deception, twisting God's word, right? That the serpent used something God said and then twisted it to try to convince Eve, does God really know what he's saying? Is God's word really true? Convincing Eve with a deceiving lie that she should take the forbidden fruit and then from that, her, you know, basically telling her husband, you should try this too, and then he took it, and then from there, the world went into a, 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 a whirlwind of deception. Every sin we see today started from that great fall, that first sin, and that sin came because of deception. Everybody say deception. Let's talk about what is deception. Let's define deception. If we're at war with the spirit of deception, what does it mean to be deceived? There are levels of deception. I wanna give just real quickly three levels of deception. Number one, deceived into a sinful lifestyle. That's what we see in Genesis chapter three. The very first sin was, the, was, was introduced through deception. So through deception, we can be brought into a level of living in sin, choosing sinful decisions. It can be as simple as justifying sinful behavior because you have self-deceived yourself to say it's okay. It's okay. It's okay for me to cuss people out. It's okay for me to look at stuff I shouldn't look at. It's okay for me to steal a little bit. Like, I was talking with Walgreens recently. I walked in there and almost everything on the shelf had locks on it. Have y'all noticed that Walgreens is starting to lock up multiple aisles that used to not have locks? I said, why are y'all locking up so many aisles? And it's not every Walgreens, it's certain Walgreens. And they said, it's because people are coming in and stealing stuff. I said, what do you mean? They said, people will walk in, grab something, walk out the door. And I said, like, once a month? They were like, no, like, every day people come in and take stuff. And they said, we can't chase them. We can't stop them. And the cops won't arrest them. I don't know if I should be telling you all this, but <laughs> some of y'all are still being sanctified. You're like, I can get away with that? Hey, just because you can get away with something by the police of America doesn't mean it's okay in God's eyes. And again, they said it has to be over a certain amount of money for them to get arrested, for them to get a ticket, for them to go to jail. So they said they can steal up to like $40 worth of stuff and the cops won't do anything about it. And I, I just thought that's crazy. We're living in a time, and, and San Francisco, I was talking with uh, Pastor Bill Johnson who lives in California. He said it's insane there. People steal every single day. Normal people who would never think about stealing before are stealing today all the time. And they don't even call it stealing anymore. In their minds, they've justified, I'm allowed to do this. I'm okay doing this. So the first level of deception deceives us into a sinful lifestyle that is clearly biblically wrong, but we have justified because society says it's okay. The second level of deception is deceived into a non-biblical or twisted scriptural new idea, new teaching, new wind of doctrine. The Bible talks about um, don't be deceived by new winds of doctrine that come in to tickle your ears, just because it sounds good, just because it tickles the ears, right? 
I don't know what that means because I don't know if I've ever had my ears tickled. Does anyone have your ears? Some of y'all are tickling each other's ears right now. That's weird. Just stop right now. No PDA in church. Um, you'd be surprised what I see from stage. I can see all around the room. I got, I'm looking at y'all. Um, quit putting your finger in his ears. Okay. But the point is this. Uh, the scriptures teach us that there's doctrine that comes in that makes us feel like, oh, that sounds good. Yeah, I could get away with that. Oh, yeah. The grace of God. Greasy grace is what Pastor Larry Stockstill calls it. Greasy grace. This idea that the grace of God allows me to do whatever I want. That the grace of God is this license to live however I want. Even if it goes against God's word, it's all good. It's all grace. It's all greasy grace. The third level of deception is a deception that leads good people to believe facts that are not completely true about something or someone for the deceiver's own advantage. So gossip can stir up deception, right? If I started the telephone game in this room, if I started down here and I, I whispered, I said, hey, don't tell anybody except for the person right next to you. And I lean into his ear and I said, there's a man on the back row right over there. He's got an awesome beard. It's a really nice beard. Yeah, he said, is it better than mine? But let's just say, let's just say I say something and he hears, he hears that man's drinking a beer in the back row. It's not even what I said, it's what he heard. And sometimes we're deceived by hearing things that aren't even true, or we're deceived by people telling us things that they don't have all the facts. And when deception gets into the church to stir up division, this is really the third level of deception, is that if I can stir up a division between you and somebody else, what is my agenda besides, like, anytime someone starts talking to you about somebody else, you need to stop and go, what's your agenda with this information? What's your motivation behind telling me this piece of information about another person? Ephesians 6, verse 12. Let's go back to Ephesians 6, because I, wa I want to go somewhere tonight. I feel like Wednesday night is a great night to go deep. Can we go deep tonight? So we got we to gotta look beyond what we're hearing and seeing in the natural. Paul the Apostle in Ephesians chapter 6, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. He says, we're in a war. And he says, this war is a spiritual war. There's principalities happening. There's, there's dark spirits of wickedness in the heavenly places that are warring over your soul, but also warring over the church, warring over the unity of the church, warring over the mission of the church, warring over the church being fully attentive, fully alive. Look at verse 13, Ephesians 6, verse 13. I want to keep just flowing right here. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Yesterday, I was at my son's chapel here at Victor Christian School. By the way, if you are interested in getting your kids into Victor Christian School, this is a great time to do it. Um, the enrollment is already like really high for next year, and they've only got certain spots left. And if you're concerned about finances, they can work with you. Our state just opened the door for tax credit focused on uh, Christian schools. So if you're like, hey, I want to get my kids in a Christian school, this is a great time to do it. Call our school tomorrow. That's just a little plug for Victor Christian School. But I was in their chapel yesterday. And my son, Benaiah, him and another kid, they were, they were leading the chapel in the full armor of God. So they're marching. And they're like, and it was a rap song. It was really cool. I was really into it. I, I want them to come and do it on a Wednesday night in church. I want to invite the kids in here to take over. But they start talking about, I got the helmet of salvation. The breastplate of righteousness. I got the belt of truth. I got the shoes of peace. I got the sword of the spirit. And they're like, oh, and they're all marching. And I was like, this is awesome. Now, some people would look at that and go, whoa, this is weird. Look how they're indoctrinating these children, right? 
and HBO wants to do a documentary on how Christian schools are indoctrinating kids to have the spirit of faith, while public schools are indoctrinating kids with drag queen shows as they walk grown men in little leotards in front of five-year-old kids, teaching them that men can become girls and girls become men. We're living in a time of deception where the world wants the church to look like we're cuckoo and crazy for teaching kids how to know who they are in Christ and that who they are born as is not an accident. If you were born a man, you are a man. If you were born a woman, you are a woman. But we're living in a time where there is so much crazy deception that even Christians will cringe when they look at a Christian school teaching kids about the armor of God and will go, I hope HBO doesn't pick up on this. I hope Tulsa World doesn't write an article about Christian schools. And I'm like, let them write it. Let the world know while they're indoctrinating children in every public school across America with crazy crap, the Christian schools are not shrinking back. We're fighting back and we're standing up for truth in an hour where the world has gone mad with crazy deception. And Paul says, we've got to stand and we've got to stand with the armor of God. We've got to know who we are in Christ. We've got to have a helmet of salvation we got to have a breastplate of righteousness. We are not saved by our good works. We are not saved because we've done great things. We are saved because Jesus paid the price on the cross. Anyone in this room thankful for the gift that you didn't pay for, that Jesus paid for to save your soul? Don't get it mixed up. And I think this is one reason why maybe the world has issues at times is because there have been Christians at times who have prided ourselves in our own salvation. And we got to remind ourselves, we were all a prodigal son at once. We were all in the world. We were all lost. We were all without a savior. We were all in need of his mercy. None of us stand above another Christian. And if we can help the world to see, hey, we were lost just like you. We were broken just like you. We needed the mercy just like you. The gift of God was given that the salvation breastplate of righteousness from his good deeds, the belt of truth. Paul, Paul the apostle says, get on the belt of truth. Get guarded with truth. Keep truth around your waist. Keep truth, like don't let your pants hit the ground. Pants on the ground, pants on the ground. Y'all remember that old song? Looking like a fool with your pants on the ground. Anyways, <laughs> I'm bringing it back to 2015. Here we go. <laughs> All right, good people can become deceived. Good Christians, any of us in this room could become deceived including me. Um, that doesn't mean we are deceived. It just means we have to recognize we're all susceptible to this. We're all susceptible to listening to the lies. There was a man, I believe in the 60s or 70s, who was charismatic, he was friendly, he was fun, he was funny, he was flirtatious, and he would walk up to girls and he would just talk to them and sweet talk to them and show up in church services and just hang out with these girls. And then he later on was convicted as the world's like most notorious serial killer. And on Netflix, they made all kinds of different documentaries about this guy. Um, I forget his name. Ted Bundy, Ted Bundy. I mean, Charles Manson is another one of them. What I'm trying to say is just because someone comes across sweet and nice and, and can sweet talk you, we gotta be careful. We gotta be careful because flattery sometimes is deceiving. And even with each other, we gotta be careful. Am I speaking a lie when someone asks me a question? Am I, am I trying to come across more flattering than truthful with people? And in, in the Bible, there's multiple moments where a spirit of deception came in. So I wanna look at three specific spirits. Number one, I wanna look at number 16. Number 16 was a moment where deception got into the Israelite camp through a man named Korah. So we'll call this the deception of Korah. Korah, K-O-R-A-H. Exodus, no, uh, Numbers, Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers, fourth book in the Bible. Let's go to Numbers 16, verse one. Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Korath, the son of Levi, a bunch of different names here, became insolent. And let's go to verse two. He rose up against Moses, and with Korah, there were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders. 
Look at this. Well-known community leaders gathered around Korah. They were pulled into a rebellion against Moses. It's easy to get upset with the guy who's in charge. How many of y'all work for somebody? Like somebody in some way supervises you, oversees you. Anybody have any type of supervision in your life? All right. <laughs> we all do. I do too. I have a board that oversees me. I have spiritual advisors who oversee me. I have a pastor. I have my mom who's, who's definitely checking up on me. I have my wife who's checking up on me. Praise God. My wife's preaching in youth right now. She's amazing. But we all have somebody. And sometimes we can get frustrated with that somebody. We can go... <sighs> Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? You're gonna, what? Anyone ever gotten frustrated? Don't raise your hand if it's me. If you're on staff, just keep your hands down. We won't say anything, but we've all been there before. Can we just be honest? We've all been there before where we get frustrated. It's okay to feel frustrated. It's not okay to turn it into a slanderous campaign against the person you're frustrated with. It says they incited, verse two, they incited a rebellion against their leader, against Moses, along with 250 other leaders of the community. These other leaders were listening. They were like, yeah, Moses is, he's not that great. I mean, I know he got us out of Egypt, but the man stutters. He's not a perfect leader. He's got anger issues. Like this man has anger issues. And, and so they're, they're upset, they're frustrated, they're complaining, and it, it turns from frustration into total rebellion. They go, let's get rid of this guy. Um, prominent members of the assembly, in other words, these were mighty men of God, mighty women of God. They united against Moses and Aaron, and they said in verse three, you have gone too far as our boss. You have gone way too far as our supervisor. The community, the whole community of Israel has been set apart by the Lord and he is with all of us. What right do you have to act as though you are greater than the rest of the Lord's people? Who do you think you are as the leader, the boss? Who do you think you are? By the way, did you know God designs leadership structure? Biblically, God instituted leadership structure. You may not like leaders, but that doesn't mean that it's somehow anti-biblical. Leadership structure is God's idea uh, for all kinds of different things, institutions, even nations. God uses Samuel to appoint the next king of Israel. So he has a leadership structure of who's going to lead a nation, who's going to lead a people. He used prophets during one season. He used Deborah. Uh, during one season, when, when men weren't rising up, he said, I'm going I'm to rise up a woman that's going to lead the people in this hour, that's going to make decisions. I'm thankful for my mom when she stepped up to pastor our church for the five years after my father passed. She led our church as a, as a great leader. Just because you don't like a leader doesn't mean it's not God's idea. So it says here, they said, who do you think you are? When Moses, in verse four, when Moses heard how they were talking to him, he fell face down on the ground and he said to Korah and his followers, tomorrow morning, the Lord will show us who belongs to him and who is holy. The Lord will allow only those whom he selects to enter into his own presence. Korah, you and the people you've influenced, be careful who you're influenced by. The second someone starts talking to you, saying, if I was in charge, those words are very scary words to listen to and then to entertain. Yeah, what would you do if you were in charge? If I was the worship leader, if I was running things around here, if I was calling the shots, Moses is an idiot, right? Like they are talking bad about Moses and Moses says, listen, it's getting quiet in this charismatic Wednesday night service. Y'all were with me at first. He says, uh, Korah, the Lord's going to deal with this. He says, you and all your followers must prepare. Light fires, burn incense before the Lord. Pray, repent, get your hearts right. Uh, we will see whom the Lord chooses as the Holy One. 
You guys are the ones who've gone too far, he says. Then he says this. He says, does it seem insignificant to you that the God of Israel has chosen you from among all the community of Israel to be near to him so that you can serve in the Lord's tabernacle and stand before the people to minister to them? Then he looks at Korah directly. He says, Korah, God has already given this special ministry to you and your fellow Levites. In other words, Moses was saying, you have a position of leadership. You have an opportunity to make a great impact. I know you're not the head honcho. You're not the number one dude. But God still has a calling on your life to lead. Why are you throwing away your leadership calling? Because it's not as high as another person. We got to be careful that we don't throw away our opportunity of influence just because it's not our preferred position of influence. He says, be careful, Cora. Are you demanding that God promotes you? Anything that is man manipulated. Ooh, that's a word right there. Anything that is manipulated. Anything that is human manipulated. That is not God orchestrated is bound to be destroyed. We don't get to choose what God chooses. He says, are you demanding God promote you? Are you demanding God overthrow me and put you in place? Those who live by the sword die by the sword. The Lord is the one that you and your followers are really revolting against. Moses said, you're not coming against me. You're coming against God. That's scary. Y'all go, that's Old Testament. All right, we'll get to the New Testament in just a minute. We could talk about it. Ananias and Sapphira tried to lie to Peter. I mean, there's moments in the Bible that we go, that just, ugh. And it's there for us. I think it's there for Wednesday night conversations. For who is Aaron that you are complaining about him? All right, so <laughs> I could keep reading this chapter. It gets pretty intense. Um, Let's go to verse 28. Moses said, this is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do what I have done as your leader. For I have not done what I've done on my own. If these men die a natural death or if nothing unusual happens, then the Lord never sent me to be your leader. But if God does something entirely new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them, and all their belongings, and they go alive in the grave, you will know these men have shown contempt against God himself. In verse 31, before Moses had even finished speaking the words, the ground suddenly split open beneath them. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed the men alive. <laughs> Along with, I'm not trying to laugh, I'm just saying like this is intense. Everything they owned went down into the grave. I think it's a lesson. It's a very interesting chapter when you read it. I think it's a lesson to remind ourselves the fear of God. That if, and I don't mean being afraid of God. I just mean that I fear God so much that if you came to me and you said, hey, let's stir up a rebellion against the governor of Oklahoma. Let's go to his governor's mansion in Oklahoma City Let's stand out there with pitchforks. Let's get him out of the office. Or, or you say, let's go do this to the, the latest leader. Uh, let's go do this to someone you don't like. Hey, let's go stand in front of the boss's house of your company. I'm just saying, we gotta be careful that we don't join into a spirit of violence and murder and slander and gossip and I'm gonna overthrow this person I think we gotta be very honoring in a place of saying, hey, if God wants someone removed, he'll remove them. If God wants to do something, God will do it. But us trying to take matters into our own hands is, is entering into a spirit of witchcraft. And it is deceiving and it leads to destruction. I wanna look at the second deception, the, the deception of Jezebel and King Ahab. This is Old Testament, 1 Kings 21. 1 Kings 21. This is a deception between two leaders. And Jezebel was the wife of Ahab. Um, she was not in charge of the nation. Ahab was. However, Jezebel acted like she was in charge. 
And behind the scenes, she was the backroom manipulator. Uh, By the way, this spirit, this deceiving spirit is not gender specific. A man can have a Jezebel spirit. A woman can have a Jezebel spirit. A a woman could have an Ahab spirit. A man could have an, an Ahab spirit. The Jezebel spirit works with the Ahab spirit. The Ahab spirit, basically, it's the partner spirit. It's, it's, it's weak. It's, uh, I can't make any decisions. I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. You just do it all, Jezebel. And Jezebel takes over. Jezebel works as an intimidating spirit. Um, Jezebel works as a spirit to try to, it's a tactic to try to kill your ministry, to kill your family, to kill your influence, to kill your impact. Jezebel is not just a, a, people think Jezebel is some sort of a lustful spirit. It's a controlling spirit. It's all about control. Ahab was a king over Israel, and if you read about who Ahab was, he oftentimes would get afraid. He would become very overwhelmed, weak, and Jezebel would step in and say, I got this. Let's kill some people. Off with their heads. Jezebel was an overtaker. She, was, uh, she loved telling everybody what to do, and she would devastate people. She would push people. She would intimidate people. Um, She would try to gain control to just, it was a spirit of uh, of intimidation and control. How do we break this spirit off of our own lives? I think we gotta turn the lights on these spirits. Spirits operate in the dark. Spirits keep operating until you start talking about it and you confront those spirits. And you turn the lights on and go, hold on, there is a spirit of control here that is very ungodly. There is a spirit of uh, anger here that is very ungodly. There's a spirit of rebellion here that is not Christ-like. There's a spirit of insubordination that is totally anti-Christ. And you go, well, I'm not, I'm, not sub- I'm not submitting to anybody. If you don't submit to anybody, you're gonna have a hard time making it anywhere because the Bible tells us we should mutually submit to one another in marriage, husbands and wives, Um, And then he has a calling of submission, even where we work. He says, work under your boss with a humble spirit. He says, work as if you're working under God. God is the undercover boss. He watches what we say. He watches what we do. He watches how we react. There is a calling in many ways for us to be subordinate in relationships and situations and to be the servant and to take on that heart of a servant like Christ in a world that says, do what you want, take what you want, be who you want, you do you. Jesus says, no, 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 the kingdom is upside down. You wanna go up, go down. You wanna be great, get small. You wanna be the leader, be the servant. You wanna be, you wanna be a bigger impact, be a bigger servant. Help more people, humble yourself. Those who, uh, who carry pride, the Lord opposes, but those who humble themselves, he gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. I want the band to come out because I feel like I'm stepping on toes here. The third deception. Third deception. Let's look at, I'm gonna go into a fourth deception in the New Testament, but I wanna stay in the Old Testament for a second. The third deception is the deception of Absalom. 2 Samuel 13. 2 Samuel 13. Absalom was the son of King David. King David had kids with different wives. It wasn't right. David made some bad choices. And the Lord uh, disciplined David for his sinful choices. I shouldn't say bad choices. He made sinful decisions. We got to call sin, sin. But the good news is God always loves you on the other side of your sin. He may discipline you. He may correct you. He will discipline you. He will correct you, but he still loves you. And God kept his covenant with David even after David's sin. David repented. David humbled himself before the Lord. He had a child. He had other children, one of his kids was Absalom. Absalom grew up as a teenager knowing the sin of his dad. He knew that his dad had made sinful decisions. Anyone in this room ever have a family member that you grew up with that, that you knew they didn't always make the right decisions? And you have the temptation as someone in the family, you go, and you have to forgive them you got to love them, but there's a part of you that's also kind of frustrated with your mom, with your dad, with your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, whoever it is, your spouse, and this was Absalom. Somewhere in there, he got frustrated because his dad's sin led his dad to a place where, 
two of his kids slept together. Uh, David's daughter was very beautiful, Tamar, and David had another son named Amnon. Amnon loved Tamar, his sister, which was totally wrong, unethical, illegal, wrong, sinful, immoral. And Tamar said, Amnon, you can't have me. I'm, not, I'm, I'm your sister. This is wrong. I'm, I'm your half-sister, but I'm still your sister. You can't, I, I'm not going to sleep with you. And Amnon makes that decision to take advantage of his sister. Absalom becomes so angry over this and so angry that his dad never disciplined Amnon for it. His dad never corrected Amnon for this heinous crime. And because his dad didn't correct Amnon, Absalom harbored not just a bitterness against Amnon, but a bitterness against his father. Because it wasn't just what Amnon did, it was what David, the king of Israel, the man after God's own heart, didn't do to correct his son for what he did wrong. So Absalom didn't know how to forgive his dad, who was a worship leader, a king, a warrior, a poet, a shepherd, a mighty man of God, but also a human who didn't make always the best decisions. And Absalom couldn't forgive him. So Absalom ends up killing Amnon and ends up, you know, doing a lot of bad things. And, and there's a whole story about that in, in first, second Samuel 14 and 15. And then Absalom moves close to his dad to see if his dad will ever try to make things right because his dad doesn't want to talk to him anymore. After Absalom kills his brother Amnon, David stops talking to Absalom. They have a broken relationship. Father and son don't want to talk to each other. The son wants the father to come and see him, but the father, David, doesn't want to see him. He's heartbroken that he killed his brother. And then... Absalom begins to develop this bitterness that leads to dishonor. Absalom begins to stand outside the city gate and he begins telling people in 2 Samuel 17, you shouldn't follow my dad. My dad doesn't know what he's talking about. My dad doesn't have time for you. My dad is not a great leader. My dad makes poor choices as a king. My dad has fumbled the ball multiple times. And to be honest, I would do a better job running the kingdom than my own father would. People start listening to Absalom. He also had really long hair. The Bible says his hair was so beautiful, the whole town came out once a year for his haircut. So he was very charismatic. He had a lot of great things. Um, from that deception, Absalom leads an entire nation to revolt against King David. And there's a civil war. And David actually finds himself on the run from his own son. David flees the palace. He doesn't even stay to try to fight Absalom. He leaves the palace. He says, you can have it. And one of David's men, the, the commander of the army, his name was Joab. Joab comes to David and he says, David, why are you running? You can easily cut your son's head off. You are a warrior. You are strong. You were built for war. He is a youth. He does not know how to fight. He's never even used a sword in his life. David, go back and claim your kingdom. And David says, whatever the Lord's will is, whatever God wants to do, I'm at the mercy of God's will. And, and Joab is angry over this. He says, no, 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 you need to go back and claim your victory. And David says, no, maybe God's using this to do something in me. Maybe God's using this to do something on the inside of me. And he says, don't touch my son. Don't hurt my son. And David tries to stand up for his son. His son ends up in the woods and he ends up killing not just his own men. His own men die in the, in, the, in the forest of Ephraim. And then Absalom ends up hanging in the trees. His hair gets tangled in the trees and he ends up getting killed by one of David's men. It's a very sad story, but the story reminds me that deception leads to destruction. That when I am self-deceived about another person, when I'm deceived about God's purpose, God's plan, when I think I have to manipulate God's plan to happen in my life, that is deception. When I think I have to do God's job for him, that's deception. When I start changing scriptures to fit what works with my emotions and my thoughts and my feelings and my fleshly desires, Amnon was the son of a king and he convinced himself it was okay and even appropriate to do something that was totally immoral. I'm telling you, deception can happen even in the king's palace. Deception is not, you know, just picking certain people. The enemy comes after all of us and we've got to choose how are we going to confront this deception? Number one, 
you can bow down to deception and you can be controlled. That's what happened during Jezebel's time. Even Elijah ran from Jezebel. A mighty prophet of God was pulled into a spirit of deception, depression, overwhelmed. He ran for his life. He was intimidated. So you can allow this deception. You can allow this spirit to control you, push you, own you. You can bow down to it. Number two, you can confront this spirit head on. You can command this spirit to leave immediately. You could say, I rebuke the spirit of deception. I rebuke the spirit of rebel. I rebuke the spirit that's trying to take over my mind, my heart, my body, my marriage, my family, my house. You can also, in that same, same second point, you can also ask God, God, if this spirit, if this situation is not gonna leave, then I'm asking you to remove it. This is what Moses did. Instead of Moses trying to kill Korah, Moses said, God, you handle Korah. Instead of Moses trying to fight Korah and say, how dare you come against me? Moses said, God, handle him. <laughs> Have you ever prayed that over a situation? He said, God, handle it. God, deal with it. You ever, I, I prayed that uh, several years ago in a situation. I prayed that. I said, I feel very... Um, I feel like there's a, a real controlling spirit that's trying to come at me. And I just prayed. I began to pray in the spirit. I said, Lord, I, I give this to you. I'm asking you. I've, I actually confronted this person, the situation. I said, this is not right, the way that you're coming across. And, and the way they turned it back on me. Sometimes when you confront a deceiving spirit, you get gaslit. Like they start gaslighting you. Like that's what narcissists do, right? They just turn it back on you and, and then you start going, I, maybe they're right. Maybe I'm the one that's messed up and I need to, and I started like just, and then I, I had to step back and go, hold on. I started praying in the spirit. And I said, Lord, there is a spirit here that is not right. And it is messing with this ministry. It's messing with me. It's coming at me. I said, Lord, deal with it. I kid you not, in less than 30 days, that person was gone from victory. They were gone. And I don't know what God decided to do, but God decided to transition that situation. Sometimes you have to pray a spirit out of your life. Sometimes you have to pray a situation out of your life. And, and then here's the third, third way. Um, let's, let's talk through this. Third way, you can humbly submit to God's will. And I think this is probably the best one here. We see this with David. You can humbly submit to God's will. Walk in wisdom. Meet the confrontation when you're ready and trust God with the results. Charles Stanley said this. He says, obey God and let the consequences, leave the consequences to him. Obey God and leave the results to him. Obey God's word and let him decide what happens. What does obedience look like? It looks like surrender, submission, saying, Lord, I'm in a spiritual battle here. There is some sort of spirit that is messing with me. It's messing with my calling. It's messing with my ministry. It's messing with my marriage. It's messing with my family. I don't know what to do here. I'm trying everything I can in the natural. So Lord, I surrender to you. I'm gonna obey your word. I'm gonna submit to your counsel. I'm gonna open my life up to the wise counsel around me, and I'm gonna trust you with the results. I want you to stand to your feet all over this place. One of the most important things we can do in not being deceived is first ask the Holy Spirit to purify our hearts and minds from any deception that's trying to mess with us, any personal deception. We need to repent. This last week, we had a 40-hour prayer and worship time at the church. How many of y'all were there for some of the time of prayer and worship? It was powerful. I popped in on Friday night, and it was just the room was thick with the presence of God. And one thing I remember last year during the Asbury Revival is, is that this revival started with repentance. When you look in the book of Acts and the day of Pentecost where thousands of people got saved, it started with repentance. Acts says that when we repent, times of refreshing come, revival comes. If we're gonna experience freedom from deception, freedom from any spirit that's trying to mess with our hearts, our minds, our relationships, our unity, our camaraderie, our calling together, We've got a first look on the inside. I want you to close your eyes all over this place. David said, search me, O God. Know my heart. Lord, is there anything prideful in me? Is there anything demanding? Is there anything in me that's not of you? Is there any spirit 
spirit of fear, spirit of control, spirit of, of, of anger? Is there any spirit of religiosity? Is there any spirit of sin? Is there any spirit of lust? Is there any spirit of power, pride? And I don't mean power from God. I mean like power, like the hunger for, for, for power in an unhealthy way. Is there jealousy? Is there anything in me, God, that I need to repent of to just say, Holy Spirit, cleanse me. Purify my heart, purify my mind, deliver me. Lord, I pray that this year would be a year that we walk free of all deception, that we walk in your truth, that we carry your truth, we know your truth, and the truth sets us free. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here tonight and you just need to say, Lord, help me to walk in freedom from all deception, self-deception and the deception of others or the deception of our society and this world, I want you to lift your hand up all over this room if that's you. Yeah, hands going up from the front to the back. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, I just need to repent. There's some things I just need to give to God. That's, if that's you, you lift your hand up tonight too. This is your night to just let the Holy Spirit cleanse you. If you raise your hands for any of those, I want you to leave your seat. Come and meet me at the altar. We're gonna worship God. We're gonna ask the Holy Spirit to lead us this year into truth. We're gonna ask the Lord to lead us and set us free from any deceiving lie of the enemy, any deception that the enemy would try to bring against us or that he is bringing against us right now, that we would walk free of deceiving spirits and that we would walk in the truth of God's word. Would you lead us in that worship song? Let's just worship. Let's just open our hearts up to God and say, Lord, search me. Just know me. Just open your heart to God. There is nothing like your love. Lord, I thank you. All deception has to go. Every spirit that's not of you, God, has to go.
guiding you in all truth. There is nothing like your love. I would give you a New Testament picture of this. Hebrews 12 says, work at living in peace with everyone. Look at that, verse 14. Work at living in peace with everyone. Do you think God wants us to have peace with people who offend us? Do you think God wants us to have peace with people who frustrate us? You think God wants you to have peace in your marriage, your family, with your kids, even the people that you roll your eyes at and you go, oh my. He says, work, work. Take an intentional focus to purify your heart towards people. Walk in peace and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, which corrupts many. That word corrupts means deceives, deceives, defiles, pulls people away. Absalom was pulled away by offense. He was pulled away by bitterness. Korah was pulled away by comparison, anger, frustration. I don't like my boss. You look at those stories, Jezebel, Ahab, they were pulled away by their own selfish desires, their own grabbing for power, grabbing for control. And in many ways, Hebrews is saying, all of us could fall into this. He's not talking to pagans, he's talking to Christians. He says, watch out Christians, make sure that there's no immorality that grows on the inside you. Make sure there's no godlessness that grows inside you. Make sure that poisonous bitterness offense doesn't begin to grow and develop and corrupt you and deceive you. It'll pull you away from your purpose. 
He says, you have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back. No, my friends, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in joyful gathering. You have come into this new thing. You are, your names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself. He is the judge over all. You have come to the spirit of righteousness. You have come to be made perfect. You have a covenant between God and you. The blood of Jesus speaks for your sins. It speaks of forgiveness. It comes against every spirit that tries to set itself up against, against God's spirit over your life. But he says this, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us stay surrendered. Let us stay in a, a heart of thankfulness, humility. Let us live our lives to please God with holy fear and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And I think this message is just a reminder to watch yourself, watch your heart. Don't be deceived. Don't be self-deceived. Don't be deceived by another person. This morning, I, I was so tired this morning. And I just, I, I, I had a hard time waking up. And when I did wake up, I was moody. I was just, I was not my best attitude. And I was getting impatient with Ashley. And the Holy Spirit checked me in my impatience and said, you better repent and apologize. Not just because you're preaching tonight, but because you don't want to spend another hour in a place of bitterness and pride acting like you don't owe her an apology. You need to apologize for coming across impatient. And I did. I just, I've repented to God and I said, Ashley, I'm sorry. I, I was wrong the way that I reacted to you. We're all susceptible of staying in a place of unrepentant spirits of anger and I'm justified to be upset at people and they treated me. I'm just saying, let's stay tender to the Holy Spirit. I need this. You need this. We all need this. Let's not get deceived in these last days where we allow hurts and offense and poisonous to stir up. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would keep us on the altar of surrender. I pray, God, that we would be tender in our spirit. When we miss it, God, I pray that we would be quick to repent. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to just guard our church and the unity of our church and the camaraderie of the people of God, that we would pray for each other, that we would love each other sincerely with authenticity, with truthfulness, God, that we would speak truth in love, that we would not just flatter each other, but we would speak life. We would speak love. We would speak hope. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us in Jesus' name to guard our minds and hearts against deception. Just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I repent of my sin. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, that I am saved. My name is written in your book. I belong to you, Lord. My sins are forgiven. My future is bright. Holy Spirit, guard my heart and mind. Help me to guard my heart and mind against all spirits of deception that would try to mess with who you've called me to be what you've called me to do. I'm all yours, God. In Jesus' name, amen.